Pray with me, Father, now we come. You've heard our prayer. Speak to us. May we receive Your Word as we would receive food. May it be nourishment to our souls. Father, shape us in Your likeness. May we see Christ. Enable us to walk in obedience by Your Word. Sanctify us, we pray, in Your truth. For Your Word is truth. Renew our minds. Help us to see all that we are in You, all that You have for us. Enable us to see the call upon our own lives. And this we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. This passage I read, we've been arranging our minds around for the last two or three weeks. I suspect uh, Jesus once said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance, out of the overflow, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This, well, the mouth speaks what comes out of the heart. This comes from the abundance of of Jesus' heart. Uh, his heart for us, as He prays for us, is that we would be sanctified in the truth. God's Word in tr- is truth. Uh, he says that He has sanctified Himself, that we also may be sanctified in truth. What I want to do this morning is call attention to this middle sentence of these three, which is verse 18. Jesus said, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This isn't technically a request of Jesus. We've been talking through requests that Jesus has made on our behalf. He isn't requesting that we be sent. And I think that's in part why he uses a past tense here. He's he's making a statement of fact. I have sent them. It isn't send them. It's I have sent them. There's this this, 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 uh, understood condition of followers of Jesus, that they're ones who are sent into the world. Jesus just brings that up in the middle of, of, this, of this, these, these three sentences. One where he prays this prayer that we be sanctified. The other, he tells us of the grounds or the basis for our sanctification, which is his own consecration. And in the middle of that, he says that... Um, we are to be sent. Now, question for us is why? Why does, why does he make that particular uh, statement there? Why does he bring this up in this prayer? And I think this because he's in the midst of talking about our relationship with the world. Notice back in verse 9, he says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I'm glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they're in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Um, And so Jesus is starting all the way back in verse 9. So about a third of the prayer ago, he's he's talking about uh, our relationship with the world. And he's saying they're in the world. and, 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 And we know, as we'll see in a minute from another verse, the world, as Jesus is talking, isn't simply locationally. It's just simply not on this earth. But there's this philosophy of life, goals of life, motives for life, understanding of life that's caught up in this word world. And all of that is contrary to the ways of God. And Jesus is saying that, that they're there. And in the midst of this world, there will be temptations to, to not follow God, temptations to go after others, to trust in others. And so he's saying, first of all, he's praying that the Father would keep us in the Father's name. And remember as we walk through that, what that meant. It meant that Jesus was praying that we would know God. The very name of God is God's revelation of Himself. He reveals Himself to us by way of His name. He tells us who He is. And so Jesus is praying 
praying that in the midst of this world, one thing that we'll always know, one thing that we'll never forget is God, that we won't forget Him, that we will continue to know Him, know His ways, know His truth, know His character, know His all about Him in the midst of the world. So Jesus is praying that. And then notice in verse 14 how He puts it. He says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So he has previously said we're in the world, we're in the midst of this, but not of it. And he says it's a good thing because the world is contrary. The world hates us. And, and again, I don't think Jesus is necessarily referring to individual people, but he's saying there's this whole world system that's so contrary to the ways of believers, ways of followers of Christ, ways of Christ, that it hates us. It's contrary to us. It's antagonistic towards us. That's where we are. But Jesus says, now, remember, you're not of it. Uh, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, actually prays, the end of his prayer, he speaks to us and says that we have been transferred, or really I like better, transplanted from the kingdom of darkness. You see, the world in which we live is a kingdom, it's a reign, it's a rule of darkness that is in it. We can't see that which is true. We can't see God by way of this world, by way of its understanding of life. We won't see God. But, but the good news, we're not of that any longer. So we've been transplanted out of this kingdom of darkness and replanted, if you will, into the kingdom of God's dear Son, that is the kingdom of Christ. And in that kingdom, through Him, there is redemption, that is, we're purchased out of the world for God, belonging to Him. There is redemption and, or we could even say because, there is forgiveness of sins that were reconciled to God. And so Jesus is in the midst of talking about our relationship with the world. He says you're in it, in the sphere of it, but you're not of it. You're different from it. And so He prays that we be kept. He prays too, verse 13, that we would have His joy in the midst of this world and then in verse 16, he says, they're not of the world just as I am not of the world. And then he makes this next request. We've concentrated our attention on the last couple of weeks that we be sanctified. Now think for a minute, if you've been with us, give yourself a quiz. What does that mean? What does the word sanctify mean? You don't have to raise your hand, don't have to shout out answers. I'm not taking points here or anything like that. But think, just, I'll just give you 10 seconds to think about what that means. You remember Remember what I mean? Right. Um, Sanctify comes from the word holy. Those of you who weren't here, those of you who weren't listening. Uh, everybody who's listening. Those of you who can't remember because it's early. Um, that's no excuse either. Goodness, it's almost 9 o'clock. Um, now, uh, sanctify comes from the word holy, which means to be set apart, to be different, to be unique. So, in, in Jesus' prayer that we be sanctified, saying, I want them to be different, not of the world, Right? But in it. And we know that there are stages of this sanctification as we talk about it in a biblical way. Because we're set apart from the world by God. Set apart even, if we can put it this way, from sin so that we may honor God. Set apart from the world, from sin, so that we may be servants of the purposes of God. God has a purpose for us and he sanctifies us to that purpose. And we remember there are stages of this. There was what we called 
definitive sanctification. Do you remember that term? It was a sanctification at a particular point in time. And it's to that degree that every Christian has been sanctified. Every follower of Christ, every believer in Christ has been sanctified. That is set apart. That's why uh, in, in the letters of the New Testament, um, Christians can be referred to as saints or holy ones. Those who've been set apart by God. Something happened when we were born again. Something happened when we came to faith. Something happened. And that something that happened, of course, was that there was a definitive break in our lives from this dominion of darkness, from sin. Something actually happened. We were transplanted out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of Christ. That happened. We entered into the rule of Christ his saving reign, his rule and reign by which he will save us and has saved us. Okay, we're in that realm now as well as in the world, as Jesus puts it here. That took place. Then there's ultimate sanctification, the sanctification that comes when we're holy before God, where we will we'll be unable to sin. But now we're in this time of what we call progressive sanctification. Remember that expression of your ear last Sunday. Progressive sanctification. We're growing in grace. We're growing in Christ-likeness. We're growing in conformity to the image of Christ. That's what's happening in our lives. Last week we talked about the struggle of that and the difficulty of that. But, but, but Jesus prays in essence here, since we're in the world, that we be sanctified, that God sanctifies us in truth. Truth is always necessary for our sanctification. The very truth of God is what calls us out of the world. The very truth of God is, is what implants within us the very seed of new life, if you will, as Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 1. And it's this truth that as we're being sanctified, as we're being made holy, as, as our holiness is increasing, as we're increasingly being conformed to the image of Christ, Truth is necessary because we need this truth to know who it is that we are in Christ. We need this truth to know what it is that pleases God. That doesn't come from inside of us. That comes from the Scriptures. That comes from God's Word to us. He says, this is how you please me. And so this sanctifying that we're going through now is a work of the Spirit by God's Word wherein we're increasingly conformed to the image of Christ. And we're increasingly conformed to the image of Christ by way of knowing and applying joyfully and willingly the very truth of God. Lots of words. That makes sense. That's, that's this process of sanctification wherein we find ourselves now. That's what Jesus is praying for. Now, the ground of our sanctification, that is, the reason that we can be sanctified, the reason we have any hope at all that we'll grow in holiness, the reason we have any hope at all that a day will come and we'll be in the presence of the Lord new bodies even, imperishable, utterly sanctified, holy before Him. The only reason we have confidence in Him is, is how Jesus puts it in verse 19 when He says, and for their sake, again, very significantly, does what He does for our sake. For their sake, He says, I consecrate or I sanctify Myself. That is, I've set Myself apart willingly to come. And I, I, I sanctify Myself to be uh, their their high priest, the one who represents them before God, that I'll be the one who takes their sin, the penalty for their sin upon myself, and I will die for their sins. 
that they may be reconciled to God by trusting in me. And so it's for their sakes I sanctify myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. All of this uh, takes place because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Now, sandwiched in the midst of all that is this little sentence, this little expression by Jesus where he says, as you, as the Father, as you have sent me into the world, so also I send them. Or have sent, really. I send them into the world. Now, what's the relationship between Jesus praying for our sanctification and our being sent into the world? Well, notice that Jesus says, as you have sent me. Now, how is it that Jesus was sent into the world? Um, If you go back to John in chapter 10, Jesus just has an allusion. This isn't his point in John chapter 10. But but he he has an expression that's telling for us. Because not only did he sanctify himself, which is what he can do as the very Son of God, set himself apart to walk in holiness, to become our high priest. But the Father also sanctified or consecrated him. Notice verse 36. And again, I'm picking this up in a context. And the context, if I could say this reverently, is is irrelevant to us. All I'm trying to get here is an expression of Jesus that describes himself. Verse 36. He says, Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent him into the world? Context. He's saying, Are you saying of me? Now remember, when you talk about me, Jesus says, I'm the one that the Father consecrated and sent into the world. So, what does that mean? It means that Jesus was set apart by his Father the second person of the Holy Trinity. He was set apart by his Father and sent into the world. So conscious of Jesus having been sent that in the Gospel of John, if you would read the Gospel of John from beginning to end and circle every time that Jesus talks about himself as having been sent you'll find that he refers that way over 40 times about himself, just in the Gospel of John. He's so conscious of having been sent. Now, why was he sent? He was sent to reveal the Father, and he was sent to to redeem his Father's people. He was sent to reveal the Father. He was sent to to redeem his Father's people. Notice, in John in chapter 1, In verse 18, after this beautiful opening hymn, really, of John about Jesus, uh, we read this of Jesus. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now, that's about Jesus. John is saying something real to us. Nobody's really ever seen God. But then the only God, reference to the deity of Jesus, the only God who is at the Father's side, Jesus at the right hand of the Father, He, that very one, has made God known. He has made Him known. Now that little expression for make Him known is, 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 is an expression where we get an English word called exegete. Now, if you study the Bible we oftentimes talk about doing our exegesis of the Bible. 
And that's just a funny little expression that only Christians know about. Uh, and some of you are looking at me like, I don't know about that word. Well, now you do. So when you study the Bible, you're supposed to do exegesis. What does that mean? It means to find out what that passage means. You study it to find out what it means, the meaning of the passage. And so when Jesus says, I come to exegete the Father, what he's saying is, I've come to make him known. After you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus says, if you know me, you know God. If you honor me, you honor God. If you believe in me, you believe in God. Why? Because I've come to make him known. So that's why Jesus comes. He comes to make him known. But not only that, he comes to redeem. That is, he comes to buy the people of God to pay the ransom price. The ransom price is, is death. We deserve punishment for our sin. And so Jesus comes to pay that. He says, I've come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Basically what he's saying is that since we owe this debt to God for our sin, Jesus says, take me instead. I'll be the ransom. You know, you know when someone's kidnapped, there's a million dollar ransom. And so what happens? There's an exchange. The kidnappers take the million dollars instead of keeping the person they've kidnapped. So this ransom payment paid, Jesus says, take me instead. And since he's worth us, if you will, even more than us, then the Father says, I will take your payment that they may go free. So he comes to redeem his people the way that, that uh, the Apostle John puts it in 1 John in chapter 4. And again, very, John was, if you read John's um, epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and read the Gospel of John, you find obviously a very close connection in terms of the themes and, and how the theology is stated but John had a great sensitivity to picking up on what Jesus had taught and, and expounding upon it. First John chapter 4 and verse 10, very familiar verse. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin or the atoning sacrifice for our sin. So why was Jesus sent? Well, he was sent to reveal the Father. But he was also sent to redeem the Father's people. Notice how Jesus puts it in his prayer in John 17. I to give eternal life to all those whom you have given me. So he's come to, reveal the, to redeem the Father's people. To be a propitiation, that is, the atoning sacrifice, to make the sacrifice to purchase the people of God. So Jesus said that, he, that the Father had consecrated or sanctified him, set him apart for that work. And now he says about us as The Father has sent me, so, in a like way, so, I have sent you into the world. So what does that say about us? That we're sanctified. The purpose of our sanctification, the purpose for which God separates us, God saves us, God works holiness in us, God gives us the hope of of ultimately being pure in His presence. The purpose of all of that is that we too then may be sent as Jesus was sent into the world. Now, obviously, our sending is different than Jesus' sending. Uh, If Jesus hadn't been sent, our sending wouldn't mean anything. Uh, He was sent 
because he was the perfect revealer of the Father. He was sent because he's the perfect redeemer of God's people. We are not the perfect uh, revealers, and we are not the redeemers. Uh, Our death doesn't atone for anyone's sins. No one believing in Bill is saved, right? Uh, I can't atone for your sins. My righteousness can't cover your unrighteousness because my unrighteousness is just like your unrighteousness and we're in the same boat there. We need Jesus. But there is a sense in which our being sent is like that of Jesus being sent. But our being sent is so that through us, God, as he was revealed in our Lord Jesus, can be revealed to the world. It's through us that this message goes out. We are the very witnesses of Christ. Remember when we worked our way through the book of Acts, Acts 1.8. Wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because when the Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power to do, to be, really what? To be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's who we are. And so we're to be revealers of Christ, who is the revealer of God. And while we don't redeem, in the sense that our our lives and death do not pay for anyone's sins, and our righteousness is not uh, imputed to anyone as Christ's is, but while we don't redeem, we have the message of redemption. And so it's through us, through the people of God, through the church, if you will, that this message goes forth, people believe, and are thus redeemed. Uh, Notice how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. In verse 18, he writes, this, uh, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the mystery of reconciliation. Notice that. We've been reconciled to Christ, reconciled through Christ to God. And that's from God. It's God's work. He sent Christ. He worked in us. It's God's work. We've been reconciled to God through Christ. And now, notice our lot in life, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We're to serve in such a way that people are reconciled to God. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That is, we represent him. That's our identity. In every moment of our lives, in every situation of our lives, while we're at work, when we're at home, when we're in the classroom, when we're in the grocery store, when we're recreating, whatever it is that we're doing, we're ambassadors for Christ. Every moment, if you will, in our lives is sanctified. To be set apart for God, made holy, so that people can see God, so that people can be reconciled to Him. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Do you know that? Moms and dads, do you know that all the time when you're with your children, what is going on is that God is making his appeal to your children through you be reconciled to God. When you're in class, when you're at work, Uh, When you're playing, when you're at the grocery store, in some sense, obviously sometimes more obvious than others, but that's that's the identity, that's the buzz that we have as we walk around. God is making his appeal through us at any point in time. Therefore, Paul goes on in the midst of this church and he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, 
be reconciled to God. I mean, even there, even in the midst of the church in Corinth, he's, he's saying, listen, remember, I want to tell you this. Be reconciled to God. He's making his appeal through us. You know, we set up our worship services on Sunday morning, making an appeal to be reconciled to God. That's why I emphasize this morning this whole notion of renewal. This is a covenant renewal. God sets up this, 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 this pattern of life, this seven-cycle-day pattern of life. And he sanctifies one day and makes it holy. And in the old covenant, he made it holy on, on the seventh day, on this, on, this, on this Saturday as we would understand it. And people would rest from their work and that day would be sanctified. And in their resting from work, they would be announcing, we're trusting God to provide, not ourselves. So we can take this whole day and dedicate it in a way to him that other days aren't dedicated to him and we're going to trust in him. And then when Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday, the, the believers in Jesus says, this is really cool. We're going to do this on Sunday instead of Saturday. We're going to set this holy day, set this one day apart to remember that we're resting in Christ. We're not trusting in ourselves, but we're resting in him. And we gather together in this time of renewal. So we come and we begin by adoring God, by recognizing who he is. And, and then we pray to, to, to say, God, your presence with us. Please be present with us. If you're not here, we don't want to be here. But we recognize your presence with us. And then we hear him call us to worship. And in some way, shape, or form, then we, we sing praises and we reflect upon our own lives and confess our sins. And we hear God say to us, you're forgiven your sins as you trust in Jesus. By trusting in him, your sins are forgiven. You're reconciled to me. You're mine. And the weight, literally, of the world should fall off of us. And we should be able to say at that moment in time, I've been in it all week. And stuff has been coming at me all week and I've been discouraged and I can think back on Tuesday when I did this and last night when I said this and, and, and yesterday and the day before that when, when this happened and I trusted in myself and I've forgotten about God for the last five days and, and now I show up and oh, and all of that's renewed and I, re, and I hear again the promises of God. I love you. You belong to me. For your sakes, he consecrated himself so that you can be sanctified. And almost in disbelief, we say, I can be sanctified. I can walk with Christ. I can be made holy. He says, just leave this place with new hope and new vigor and new encouragement to go. Because I'm sending you back there into the world. Don't lose hope. You'll be back next week to be encouraged again. But that's, that's my pattern. And don't leave me during the week, study your Bible, get with other believers, have other times of prayer. But this Sunday is the sanctified time set apart. You need this. You only get 52, as I mentioned last Sunday. You only get 52 a year. Use them, need them. They're renewal time. But anyway, Jesus said, I send them into the world. Now, why is it that we must be sanctified? Well, on the one hand, we must be sanctified in order to be sent because we need to be taken out to be put back in. Because if, if there isn't any difference in us, then we have nothing to say to the world. We have no message to give to the world. And not only that, we must think about this one who sends us, this one uh, of whom we uh, are uh, his ambassadors, Jesus. Don't we need to reflect him in the context of the world if we're going to represent him? We're going to be ambassadors of Jesus. Don't we need to reflect him if we're going to represent him? And of course, the obvious answer is, that, is, is yes. And as we think about Jesus, he was the perfect one, the sanctified one. Don't we need to walk in holiness as God gives us help if we're going to effectively witness of him 
He was the compassionate one. He was the merciful one. He was the forgiving one. He was the just one. He was the one who spoke of God because he knew God. Don't we need to be like him? There was a time in the life of the early disciples. It's in Acts in chapter 4. When an observation was made, verse 13, Acts 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Well, they were astonished because of what these men had been saying. They were uneducated. But what they had been saying about God, they weren't religious leaders. They weren't Pharisees. They weren't Sadducees. They weren't of the religious elites. But yet they were... They were speaking truth about God in an authoritative way, in a way that was really right and true. And they had great power. They had just just, just seen this lame man uh, walk. And, and they recognized something in, in them in this next sentence. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, on the one hand, that could have just been a casual recognition. Oh, I know those guys. Those are the guys that walked with Jesus. But what sparked in their mind? that they walked with Jesus. What sparked in their mind that they had been with Jesus because of what they had been saying and what they had been doing. And if we're going to be ambassadors for Jesus, if we're going to, if we're going to draw people to Him, we have to be like Him. Now, of course, that's, I'm not trying to make you feel utterly guilty for your life, but that's to play in our minds that we're to be like Him. We're going to, we need to understand the world as He understood the world. He knew that He was not of it, but He knew that He was there. And the way that He saw the world world was that he saw people as helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. That's how he saw them when he came. And he says, I want you to see them as I see them. And I want you to speak of the Father as I speak of the Father. And I want you to live in such a way as I have lived to show that I'm the Redeemer and to show that I'm the Revealer of God and to show that my kingdom is good and right. And that's how we're to live. We need to realize, of course, the environment in which we live, in which we're being sent into the world. Same environment in which Jesus was sent, but this this environment that's contrary to him. And so in order that we're not sucked into it, we need to walk in holiness. We need to be sanctified. That's a great protection for us. And we're sanctified in truth even as we consider the truth. And as we consider the very ways of Christ, uh, we need to, uh, to... Be holy, even as he was holy. Notice how Peter puts it in First Peter, in chapter two, in verse thirteen, in verse eleven. He writes, "Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers." They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He says, you need to keep your conduct honorable. Why? Because they're watching. Keep your conduct honorable. So, it may be that you even draw them to the Father so that on the day of His visitation, they glorify Him. They say, yes, we've seen you. Yes, we know you. 
because of these people that we met. Verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Not only that, we're to live in such a way that, that, that shows people that this life with Christ is good. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, and is set him apart in your own hearts, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Remember the people who lived in Peter's day, these people to whom he writes, were being persecuted unmercifully. Their lives, by any stretch of the imagination as we might want to evaluate them, were miserable. And yet he says, your hope is to shine in the midst of that. So much so that people ask you, how can you be hopeful when all this is happening to you? And you're to tell them, not in an arrogant way, but in a gentle way. A way that respects them and their question. So that your conscience is clear. And indeed he goes on to say, when you're slandered, not if, but when you're slandered, that is when they don't believe you, when you're slandered, he said, um, your behavior will have been so good that they'll be put to shame. That's sanctification. You can't live holy. You can't do that without sanctification. That's why it's necessary even as we are sent. You know, we're living in an interesting month. Think about all the things happening in our world. How can we live with hope? We've got a war going on. We have terrorism in certain parts of the country where embassies and buses are being blown up. We have weather that at any moment in time can destroy cities. And we have an economy that nobody even wants to think about. Right? We'd all love to just bury our heads in the sand and say... I don't really know what's going on here, and I can't keep track. Where's our hope? It isn't in our ignorance. It isn't in our burying of our heads. Our hope is in the fact that we know this one who says, I love you, I'll care for you. You belong to me. That's our hope. And we need to be able to exemplify that in the midst of all that's going on. That doesn't mean that we don't have care and compassion for those who are being hurt by all of these events. Obviously, it means the opposite. But it doesn't mean that we live in fear. We have hope in Christ. Even if the economy tanks, even if the war gets worse and becomes more personal, uh, even if the weather comes in our direction and destroys our city, we still have hope. And that hope is to be such that people are to see it. That's why we've been sanctified. That's why God has set us apart. That's why God has made us different. That's why God has broken the power of sin in our lives. That's why He's working His grace in us that we can walk with Christ so that when these events take place whatever else is going on we still have hope and it's noticeable and people can see us and of course we need to be sanctified because of the task to which he's called us you remember the great commission in Matthew in chapter 28 it goes like this 
where Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. And this is, this is the point that we sometimes gloss over, we, we, we miss. We talk about going a lot. But he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. How can we teach people to observe all that Christ has commanded us unless we're living that? Now, part of what Christ has commanded us is to admit our sin and ask His forgiveness. So this isn't living a perfect life, but it's living a faithful life. And so we have to exemplify the fact that we're forgiven people and we know that. Our humility should express that. But not only that, we should express the joy of following Him, the desire to follow Him, the the keeping up, keeping in step, as the Scriptures say, with the Spirit, even as we follow, even as we follow Jesus. You know the passage in Matthew 5 where Jesus says that we're the salt of the earth. We're to be that salt everywhere we go. We're sent into the world to be that salt. Salt preserves. Salt purifies. Our very presence is to purify that moment, purify that space, purify that conversation, purify that relationship. We're to be the light of the world. People are to see God through us. And then perhaps the one that for me rings most interesting, at least, in how it is put. Paul in Second Corinthians in chapter 3 puts it like this. But thanks be to God, verse 14, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. That is it, God is the sense in us, smell in us, the very presence of Christ. Would there be the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing? To the one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. In other words, we're to, in a sense, if you will, smell like Jesus. That those who are alive in Him would say yes. And those who are perishing in Him would know they're perishing because they're without Him. That's how we're to be. A number of years ago, I used an illustration about an onion, and I had forgotten it until somebody emailed it to me about six months ago in a whole entirely different context. But it fits here for me, at least. Remember, we talked about sanctification. We said you could sanctify an onion. And the way that you would sanctify an onion for the stew is to take that onion out of the bag, separate it from all the others, cut it up, and in the cutting up of it, you're sanctifying it, if you will. And then you put it in the stew. And what happens when it goes into there? You know, it was no longer, it wasn't of the stew, but now it's in the stew. And now it's penetrating, isn't it? As the heat gets turned up, as, as, the, as the stew begins to get warmer and warmer, what happens to that onion? It, it sort of softens and it permeates. And there's a sense in which we've been sent into the world, not to become of it, but to permeate it with the very truth of the gospel of Christ. And as the heat gets turned up, we should soften, not harden. As the heat gets turned up, we should penetrate it. We, and, and as this passage in Second Corinthians says, we'll become the, the delight of those who love onions in their stew. 
and we become heartburned to everybody else. That's the sense of who we are, who God has made us to be. There was an old dead, he was young actually, young dead preacher in the 18th century named Robert Murray McShane. And I've shared this with you many times before, but it's apropos. And he was speaking to a group of ministers and he was asking this question. He said, what is your congregation's greatest need of you? And they began to speak that we need to be good expounders of the Word of God, and we need to know God in all of these things. And they weren't wrong in any of those. But McShane's old young Scotchman, he died at the age of 28. And he kind of said to them, Ah, your people's greatest need is your personal holiness. The world's greatest need from us is our personal holiness. That's what it needs. Thus Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As I have been sent into the world as redeemer, as revealer of God. So I have sent you into the world. Sanctified ones. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for me and for us that you would work this holiness in us that we would live holy lives. Forgive us our sins. Restore us on this day. Holy Spirit, work God's Word in us in such a way that we follow Him so that in all kinds of circumstances, in our work, our, our jobs, various employments, that we would live holy unto you for your glory. That through all that we do, we can show your character. That we can love others through what we do. May your justice and kindness and wisdom and love be shown through what is produced from the work of our hands and our minds. Father, for those who are hurting, I pray especially that they would have hope that they may show it forth the people, even in the midst of hurting situations, would not only have hope, but it would be noticeable others would come to them and ask them concerning it. Father, for us as a church, I pray that we would indeed be sent one, sent into the world, so that, Father, you would be known and the message of Christ, our Redeemer, would be heard and that many would be reconciled to Him. Father, this we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you please to stand and let's sing together.